Hello, I am Katerina Sliva. I am a partner at Dentons in the Real Estate Group. I am also the head of our Land Use Planning, Municipal and Development Law Group. I help our developer and landowner clients secure zoning and other development approvals for their projects. I am the lead of our Canada Smart Cities Think Tank. I am also your host for the Smart Cities Chat Podcast Series, brought to you by Dentons. This podcast series covers a broad range of topics within the Smart Cities space. Everything from drones, communication, 5G, privacy and related issues, P3s, transportation and smart mobility, sustainable, smart communities, and much, much more. You can find our episodes at www.dentons.com on our podcast page. There you can access our episodes as well as an episode description for each topic and information on our speakers. And now over to our podcast. Michael is a partner in the Toronto office of Dentons. His practice is focused on corporate and commercial law, corporate governance, mergers and acquisitions, smart cities, public-private partnerships, and the transportation industry. Michael, over to you to get things started and, and to introduce Josepha. Thank you. So as Kat said, there are, our topic is smart mobility, and our uh, speaker is uh, Dr. Yusuf Petrunik, who is the CEO of Canadian Urban Transit Research and Innovation Consortium, which is known as QTRIC, and that's what we'll call um, the organization in this session. Smart mobility is uh, a variation on the theme. It plays out those, uh, uh, those tools. We crafted a bit of a definition in our description, which is in the materials that you received. And it's the integration of infrastructure, technology and vehicles driven by public sector sponsorship and private sector innovation to create transportation networks that meet transit needs of today's passengers and their communities. So one of the questions that comes out of that is uh, who facilitates this uh, integration process? And of course, uh, law firms like Dentons do, but other organizations, um, consortiums like Qtric uh, also do so. Qtric is pretty well unique, I think, in the Canadian market, largely uh, uh, at the behest of uh, Yusipa. Um, I think of Yusipa as a scholar, an academic, an entrepreneur, and a visionary. Um, she has a PhDs, a PhD and a Master of Science in Science and Technology Studies from the University of Edinburgh. She has a Master in Political Science uh, from uh, London School of Economics and a BJ of, uh, in Political Science at Carleton. As you'll hear, she's uh, uh, President and CEO of Qtric. She's built up Qtric since inception, and she'll talk to you a bit about uh, of that. Uh, prior to that, she was lead researcher in uh, electric vehicle policy at McMaster University. And she continues to lecture in uh, globalization studies at McMaster University. So this session is really just about, uh, it's about Qtric and what role it plays. And I'm going to uh, introduce a, a series of topics about uh, Qtric and ask uh, Yusipa to, uh, um, uh, to talk a bit about them. The first, of course, is um, uh, what is a Qtric? Uh, tell us a bit about uh, Qtric, its, uh, its background, and what it does, aims to do, and uh, a bit about its uh, members. 
Well, thanks so much, Michael. I appreciate it. Um, and I think it's fair to say also and important to note that Dentons has helped Qtrip grow over the last several years with Michael as our honorary legal counsel. Uh, we certainly wouldn't be where we are today without that support. And just in general, I mean, what is Qtrip? It's a technology innovation consortium and it is structured as a nonprofit. But I frequently say that we operate a lot more like a technology startup firm. And that's certainly, I think if you ask our staff, they, they certainly feel that way uh, in terms of the go, go, go kind of nature and the entrepreneurial nature of what we do. Uh, so pretty much everything we do is technology projects. That's all that we do. And so even though transit's in the name and urban transit's in the name, we don't do general transit association business. So we don't go to government and generally advocate for transit. That's important. That happens elsewhere in the economy. What we do is design and develop technology projects for transit deployment and public sector fleet deployment in general that basically aims to get people out of their cars get people into more mass mobility and to make that mass mobility zero emissions, smarter, automated, connected, cyber secure, and those whole host of technological goods. So the goal is to make Canada a global leader in low carbon smart mobility. And to do that by designing the projects, the big technology demonstration projects that will put us on the map in those areas, and then to get our transit agencies to adopt those technologies and deploy them on their roads to attract foreign direct investment and to attract ridership. So that's essentially what we do. Um, and to the extent it helps, Michael, I can explain a little bit the pillars, the, the four pillars of innovation that we work in. The first pillar is, of course, zero emissions buses. So one of our marquee projects is a pan-Canadian electric bus project in Vancouver, Brampton, and York region, where we were able to get 18 buses and seven have overhead chargers out on the road to do for the first time in the world, to achieve for the first time in the world, interoperability and standardization of high power charging systems. That literally made Canada the leader in electric bus technology uh, from, a, from a tech standpoint. We are also working in hydrogen within that pillar. Uh, then the second area is an autonomous and connected shuttles, which we'll talk about a lot more here today in terms of smart mobility overcoming that first kilometer, last kilometer with shuttles that carry anywhere from six to 20 people that are automated, connected, operating on semi-dedicated or mixed traffic laneways, very tech heavy, but they support transit in delivering those services where transit cannot afford to go. The third area we work in is big data, and that's a new area for us. Um, most of you will be aware if you've worked with transit that there's, there's a paucity in the data that is collected. There's not a lot of data collected, and certainly there is almost no AI uh, associated with those data. Uh, and to the extent that it's shared, it's almost, almost um, completely unshared data across cities in terms of transit. So we're looking at big data and transit, everything from Presto card data to how your buses operate and performance measures data, and not only digitizing those data, but then getting it into cloud platforms for sharing across cities. And the fifth area is cybersecurity. Um, insofar as we're getting people out of cars, maybe dumb gasoline cars or diesel cars into smart enabled, automated, electrified buses on rapid transitways, it's very cyber insecure these days. There aren't a lot of standards around cybersecurity for transit applications like that. And when you have 60 people on board a bus that's hurtling down a dedicated laneway automated at 100 kilometers an hour, you're going to want to make sure it's cyber secure. Uh, so cybersecurity is the fourth pillar that we work in. And that essentially describes what Qtrick is. All we do is design projects and then try to run around the country convincing people to join those projects and convince Ottawa and the provinces to fund those projects. So um, we'll go back into those pillars and uh, talk particularly about research projects and commercialization projects. But before we get to just uh, wheeling back a bit about Qtrick and its members, uh, there's about a hundred members and there are different classifications. Can you give, uh, give us a feel for 
who are the members? What are the classifications? Who are the members? Um, Absolutely. Uh, yep. So there are, I mean, we grew from zero to over a hundred members in the last five years. Um, and we've captured pretty much anybody who's, well, everybody who's anybody in the zero emissions automated connected transit world and landscape. And so our members fall into five broad categories. Uh, the first category is obviously transit agencies, but we don't represent all transit in Canada. You know, there's about 200 transit agencies in Canada. We represent uh, just over 20 of them. They do capture about 80% of the ridership. So we represent a very large portion of can Canadian ridership. But the transit agencies we represent that join QTRIC are the ones that are keen on technology deployment. So higher risk champions of transit technology. And that could be zero emissions buses, hydrogen, automated controls, etc. The vast majority of transit agencies in Canada just aren't on that cutting edge or bleeding edge of technology, and that's okay. So our transit members are the ones that are trying to do something in technology, and they need help to do it because they may not have a standing army that knows the technology, can research it, can deploy it, understands the commercial elements. Uh, the second category is industry members, and that's really critical. Manufacturers, tier one, tier two suppliers, integrators, and then there is a, a new class within that of consulting firms that have joined. Um, so the larger manufacturers are the obvious ones in this landscape. Uh, New Flyer, which makes electric buses, Nova Bus, which makes electric buses. You know, these are good Canadian-based companies, Ballard, Hydrogenics, ABB and Siemens, there are large Canadian footprints here. These are the kinds of companies that automatically join QTRIC because we operate 100% in their space, in their space of growth in the zero emissions and new mobility sphere. The third category is utilities. Uh, so we are certainly the only transit-oriented technology or association that has utilities as a core component of our, of our industry group. The larger utilities are part of our consortium, like BC Hydro, Manitoba Hydro, OPG, and then some of the local distribution companies, um, uh, Toronto Hydro and Newmarket Tape Power Distribution, et cetera. A whole host of utilities that join because they are all trying to develop strategies around electrification. And most of them have thought about cars, but transit is a whole other beast when you electrify these kinds of heavy duty fleets. So we have utilities and they join because they do not have expertise in the transit electrification or heavy duty electrification zone. The fourth membership category is academics. So we represent a host of universities and colleges and CEGEPs across the country where sometimes the research we need to do to help our industry members is more academic-y, policy-oriented. And so we'll bring in the researchers at the universities to support that. And then the fifth group is, of course, government and nonprofits that are part of the championship ecosystem, the cheerleading squad, I like to say, uh, that cheers us on across their networks, or it, when it comes to government, uh, are the folks that we go to to get money to actually deploy all this stuff. So um, there's a couple of areas that I'd, I'd like to talk about, uh, major research projects, but I'd like to leave that to last because I want to be sure that we have enough time to talk about commercialization projects and uh, in particular the smart vehicles and smart infrastructure uh, um, pillar that you mentioned before. Can you talk to us a bit about that? Yeah, so one of our major projects is our National Smart Vehicle Project, and it started about four years ago, like all of our projects, where we were selling a vision that nobody wanted to adopt, uh, and for good reason, because it's technologically complicated. The vision in the Smart Vehicle Project was, look, there's a bunch of manufacturers out there, and at that time, there were quite a few, um, Navia, Easy Mile, to get their local motors, a number of them, Arugo, and they're still around, um, and they were offering autonomous 
smart shuttles. So basically driverless mini buses that were electrified, they're all electrified, uh, on the basis that these little pods would start at a rail station or a bus station and be able to transport people to their home. And a lot of the companies were starting off on the idea that these things could be deployed for public transit, but probably they should be deployed privately through on-demand services, a kind of aggregated shuttle competitor to Uber or Lyft that would be cheaper than Uber or Lyft, more, you'd have to have other people on board with you, but could be deployed more rapidly through a systemic fleet uh, pattern. Increasingly over the last couple of years, it's become obvious that the real application there is for transit and transit oriented deployments of those shuttles. So that's good. But the problem is when we started the project, we had one technology goal and that was standardization. These shuttles do not talk to each other. So if you are a transit organization, an agency or a city looking to procure 20 shuttles that could go from Billy Bishop Airport and be deployed out to those communities that are not easily connected by subway, streetcar or bus, but are within, say, a five kilometer zone of Billy Bishop Airport or Union Station. There was no way that you could buy a standardized technology. You basically were throwing a dart in the dark and guessing at what you should buy, what kind of technology on board, what kind of roadside units you should buy. And goodness forbid you went ahead and bought some of those. You would have to deal with the fact that a year later, if you wanted to ramp it up and add more shuttles and you bought from another manufacturer, the two things would not talk to each other. So those shuttles for multiple manufacturers would compete and be proprietary and not be able to communicate with each other safely on the same routes. That doesn't work for any city because it means you're locked into monopolies. So our project started off with the idea of, could we get Easy Mile and Navia and to get there and Arugo to standardize their vehicle to vehicle communications, their vehicle to infrastructure communications, and eventually their vehicle to everything communications. But V to V and V to I are the most important for autonomous shuttles that are gonna deliver first kilometer, last kilometer solutions. When we started the project, most manufacturers said no. There's no chance we're going to standardize because exactly like in the electric bus domain, lots of sales were happening in early pilots with proprietary technology. Fast forward a couple years in, there's no mass procurement of driverless shuttles. And that is because the early pilots proved out there's a lot of tech that has to be improved and the things don't talk to each other. So our project right now has renewed life. We have about half a dozen cities that have put up their hands and said, look, we did a small shuttle pilot. It went nowhere. We didn't procure anything off it. It was nice and sexy and cool. But for us to actually go do a procurement and attach it to our buses and streetcars as first kilometer, last kilometer, we need standardized interoperable V to V and V to I communications. And we do now have manufacturers saying, okay, in exchange for a large procurement and maybe a joint procurement, we'd be willing to redesign our systems to be standardized. So that is what the project is, what we're working on. Um, challengingly for Canadians, we don't make these shuttles in Canada, so they are all foreign goods. But we do design the driverless systems, the automated systems, some of the connected systems, and some of the roadside systems. So there are jobs within it. So let's move on to something um, still in the uh, commercialization space, uh, and that's um, zero emission buses. Um, you can't avoid the um, the news that comes out daily is about the billions of dollars that's being poured into uh, um, zero emission buses by the federal government, by provincial governments. Um, you've been working this space now for four years. Can you tell us a bit about uh, uh, what you've been doing and, uh, and for what, uh, with what goals? Sure. So when we first started in this space five years ago, uh, again, we had a technology goal, which was electric buses were proprietary. 
Um, so if you bought a BYD bus, it plugged into a BYD charging system. You bought a new flyer bus, it plugged into a new flyer charging system. You bought a Nova bus, it plugged into a Nova bus charging system. There is no city in the world that wants proprietary bus solutions that cost millions and millions and millions of dollars that they're locked into monopolies. So we started on a technology demonstration project, as I mentioned, in Vancouver, Brampton, New York region to get manufacturers to standardize their buses. And thankfully, New Flyer Nova bus, along with AVB and Siemens came forward and said, you know what, uh, with a certain amount of volume, it makes sense for us to standardize. And we know that's where the industry has to go. So New Flyer Nova bus redesigned their vehicles to plug into high power overhead charging systems that ABB and Siemens redesigned all to an interoperability protocol called the OpCharge protocol, which Volvo Group had by that time published in Europe. That protocol has now been deployed in those three cities and we're proving it out and it's hard and it's difficult because something standardized on paper doesn't actually mean it works perfectly in real life. That's why it's a demonstration project to figure out all those um, pain points on the engineering side but it has helped the publication of something called J3105, which is the Society of Automotive Engineers standard for North American high power charging. So we can take credit, and I certainly do at Qtrick that our members push for the world's first interoperability trial showing that interoperability is possible, standardization is possible, and manufacturers based in Canada deployed the tech and are now selling that technology as the current standard technology. But that wasn't enough. Um, a deployment and a demonstration project are not enough to get 200 transit agencies in Canada to buy zero emissions buses. And at the federal level, of course, our federal colleagues are frustrated as to why money is going out the door for infrastructure. And we all sing the songs of green infrastructure, but it seems like almost nobody is buying electric buses and absolutely nobody's buying hydrogen fuel cell buses. And the question is why? Why in a country with 15,000 buses are there only about 120 electric buses on the road right now most of which are in Edmonton, Toronto and Vancouver, or Edmonton, Toronto and Montreal. And the answer is in general that there was a missing part of the puzzle and that was the feasibility studies, the physics and the mathematics and the economics that models out how will these electric buses and fuel cell buses operate in your environment, in your fleet, how much energy will you need, how much charging time, how many kilograms of hydrogen before your bus runs out of power and cannot deliver the service. And that was not thought of as critical three, four years ago, that feasibility work. And that's where Qtrix started developing in-house a tool we call Root I, which now has become Canada's most successful modeling tool in modeling out precisely and predicting precisely for agencies, how many electric buses do you need? What battery capacity? How much charging power? How many kilograms of hydrogen? When do the charging episodes have to happen? And what power level and cost factor associated with all that stuff? That feasibility work really should have happened four or five years ago. Nobody was thinking about that, though, four or five years ago, because in the world of diesel, you can get away with wastefulness. It's possible to rev an engine going up a hill and burn through a lot of molecules of diesel, even as a transit agency, because it's so cheap. You just don't feel it fundamentally. And because your bus will not run out of power before it returns to the depot. In the electrified world and hydrogen world, you will run out of power if you waste your electrons. That will happen. Or you will face bills that are astronomical and you will not end up with the savings over diesel you predicted. So you have to be extremely precise about the use of your energy, which is just something transit never had to do. So where we are today, Canada's not last in the pack, but we're not first in the pack in electrification of transit. And we should be because we are the basis for most of the manufactured products, the Nova buses, the new flyers, the Ballard fuel cell stacks. These are Canadian manufactured and designed goods. It's our industry to lose. 
our transit environment is slow to pick it up because nobody has funded their feasibility studies. And so this is the big pain point. And what we've said is before you spend billions of dollars on green infrastructure at the federal level, which you should do, uh, make sure that it's tethered to cities coming to the table with feasibility studies, like what we do with our root eye tool. So one of the pillars which I find really intriguing is the big data for mobility and analytics and mobility as a service applications. And this is, my perception is that it's just coming over the horizon for, for future. Can you talk about what you have in mind there? Yeah, so I mean, mobility as a service is really based on the idea that I should be able to demand a service at any point in time and be a you know snobby middle-class transit rider as I am and expect a brilliant customer service to arrive at my door and take me to wherever I need to go cheaper than an Uber could do, right? That, that's ultimately the idea is that things are on demand, that they're usually, the assumption is they're electrified and that they're integrated with a wider mass mobility network that takes me from wherever I am to the hub that's gonna move me in a mass mobility form like rail or bus or coach. Um, that is coming around the corner. There is a lot of hype around this, just like there was a lot of hype around electric buses and then fuel cell technology and then autonomous driving technology. There's a lot of hype around mass. Um, mass is a great area where we could really reduce costs, especially for people in cities and eliminate the need for cars. There's no doubt about that. But there is a fight. There's a battle underway already. And it's going to become nasty, I think, in the next couple of years. Minus COVID, it would have already gotten a little bit nastier. Uh, the battle is who should deliver these services? Should this be primarily delivered through private fleets like Uber and Lyft that are already delivering technically on-demand mass mobility? But they're not communicating to each other and they don't have a public sector obligation and they're not necessarily tied in in an optimized way to the buses and the coaches and the streetcars and the trains. Should we just let the private sector deliver it and hope that the marketplace being people, individual users who are not coordinated with each other, somehow drive it to the most efficient network deployment? Uh, the answer to that at QTRIG is no. Do we instead take option two, which is work with transit agencies like TTC and TransLink and Brampton Transit to say, right now, we need to start thinking about deploying on-demand services, which means the software platforms that give your transit riders a lot more power over you than they've ever had before. Uh, and that is just at the nascent starting point. Uh, similar to autonomous vehicles and shuttles, a lot of our transit agency members are keen on the idea of mass mobility or mass uh, mobility as a service rather, but not sure how to deploy it. And most of the lobby work has come from the private fleet providers like the Lyfts and the Ubers offering that service. There is right now nobody who offers on-demand shared mobility shuttles that theoretically could be driverless or have drivers that are operated and deployed through a software platform that integrates with buses, streetcars, and trains. That's not happening. So it's a big gap. Therefore, I would say it's a space where we will start to play, but I will be I'm cognizant of the serious challenges. It is still a problem in Ontario to get Presto data from Metrolinx to be shared back to the transit agencies that need those data to know when to reschedule their buses to show up at your Metrolink station on the GO train. That basic level of data sharing does not exist today effectively after decades of Presto being developed. So us developing really optimize mass services in Canada is going to take some time. We have a big data sharing, data collection, and data analysis gap in our transit industry in general. So um, clearly a public se sector player like Metrolinx is pivotal to any um, um, abilities of service uh, paradigm. But just stepping back a bit, um, Q 
can you describe what mobility as a service is? Just describe a scenario as to sure. how that works. Yep. So maybe we'll use a case study um, because in general, philosophically, mobility as a service is that uh, mobility through any mode, whether it's a car, a shuttle, a bicycle, a train, a streetcar or a bus uh, should be something that is tracked. So I know what mobility mode I have available to me as a user and where it is at a given point in time. And I should be able to demand it or request it at a time that suits my schedule, not the central transit authority schedule. So mobility as a service is essentially seeing mobility not as buses or assets, but rather as a service. And so therefore TTC would not be the operator of buses and subways, but the deliverer of a mobility service that gets you from point A to point B, regardless of what platform we put you in, a car, a scooter, a skateboard, a bike, uh, they're delivering to you a whole series of services that you can access uh, in real time. So that's great. That all sounds fantastic. What would an example look like? An example would look like uh, me here in Canary District in downtown Toronto, where I am. I'm pretty well connected to transit. I have streetcars and I have a subway not too far away and I have buses all over the place. Um, however, there are points in the day, and in particular during COVID, but there are points in the day where that streetcar is not coming around the corner where the bus is uh, very slow on fixed route scheduling. And I have to get to Union Station or to Billy Bishop Airport. And the only other way for me to get there in the time frame that I have is to call an Uber or call a taxi. Uh, mobility as a service would allow me to punch in on my phone. Essentially, I need to get from where I am right now to Billy Bishop. And the fixed route service that TTC offers is not going to get me there but I want to use a public service. If TTC were operating mobility as a service, I would get recommended to me a whole host of options like an Uber that is subsidized possibly or tied into the transit service as a shuttle service to Billy Bishop or as a shuttle to my streetcar that gets me to Billy Bishop. That on-demand service would require the integration fundamentally of those private fleets with the public sector requirement at the core. That's just one example. So usually the bigger examples that people use are out in the suburbs, trying to get from suburbia where there's no real fixed route schedule that accommodates anybody at any time and trying to get them to rail hubs or transit hubs. Well, there I should be able to on demand uh, request any kind of mobility mode and the local transit agency should be able to tell me, you know what, taking a bicycle is going to be your fastest mechanism and the bicycle is just around the corner from you or your electric mm -hmm. scooter is 200 meters down the street. You should go catch that. Yeah, I mean, the, the examples that I really like, and it works better in a pre-COVID or post-COVID world, is uh, somebody um, uh, wakes up in their home in, uh, in Montreal and has to get to a meeting in um, uh, Etobicoke in Toronto. And so um, the uh, demand service is uh, uh, an Uber to pick them up in, um, in Montreal to bring them to the airport, an airline to bring them to... Um, uh, to uh, an airport in Toronto, another Uber to bring them from the airport to uh, to wherever they're going in Etobicoke, and they buy one ticket, and the um, uh, and the scheduling is all interactive. So if there's a delay, uh, then um, the schedule changes. The program buys new tickets and informs the user. So uh, in theory, this is the kind of program that using all of this data, all of this interconnectivity, all of the players that are pivotal in all of this to bring a, a unified on-demand service to uh, citizens in the country to go virtually anywhere. 
Yeah, and that's often been labeled as, you know, one ticket for all modes, right? I shouldn't have to right. buy a whole bunch of different tickets. I don't like that example, though, Michael, because it uses a lot of cars and airplanes. How about it would connect me to my the subway in Montreal that gets me to the Via line, that gets me to the coach bus service, that gets me to Burlington or wherever. But, you know, you can add to that the fact that it wouldn't just be the one ticketing. It would also be that maybe I get points across that, too. You know, I'm somehow benefited as the user, the client of the service. And I get on a bus here and a train there and a coach here and a streetcar and a scooter there. And somehow I get recognition across that entire trip, uh, which is just not possible right now because it's all desegregated. So just that's been great. It's been, uh, it's been a, a really good uh, discussion. I'm, as you know, I'm a, a great fan of Qtrick and I think it does so. Uh, wonderful things and will continue to do wonderful things and and under your leadership it's made uh it's been uh it's become magic so thanks for doing this for us today thank you for those kind words michael and i really right. appreciate all the support you've provided over the years thank you so much to your audience dentons is a global legal practice providing client services worldwide through its member firms and affiliates this episode is not designed to provide legal or other advice and you should not take and refrain from taking action based on its contents. Please see dentons.com for legal notices. Speakers from this podcast episode and any other professional in our group will be pleased to speak with you on today's topic or any other topic related to smart cities. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for other episodes in our smart cities chat podcast series. <music>